0: Welcome back, everybody. 60 Minutes today here on Sports Talk. Along with Adrian Broaddus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. We'll get you ready for World Series Game 3. Have we checked the weather? Do we know if it's going to rain? It's a good point, Steve. Good I hope point. not. I have not. Hang on. Uh, let me look at the weather app and look at Philadelphia. You know, yesterday, they the, uh, they canceled the game while we are on the air. Uh, oh, nice weather today. Look at this. Sunny skies the next three days in Philadelphia. It's going to be about 62 degrees for first pitch.
1: Nice, Steve. Perfect weather tonight. Uh, no rain. Su- Suarez versus McCullers. Should be a great one. Uh, it's game three, and uh, games one and two were so entertaining, just kind of back and forth. I mean, the first game, of course, Astros go up. Phillies come back. Uh, second game goes to the Astros. Let's see what happens here. Game three.
0: There you go. I'm excited for you. Uh that's going to be nice. That means we have game 4 uh tomorrow. We won't have game 5 because we'll be uh running Football Friday night. I'm sorry. We're running uh UTEP football Thursday. There is no game on Friday night uh for high school football fans. There's no World Series Friday. But we will have uh the UTEP game against uh Houston on Thursday, which then means we can uh, air the um, you know, we can air games six and seven if necessary this weekend. I'm excited about that, having a chance to uh, air what for us will be, you know, four of uh, the next, well, no, it'll be what? It'll be three of the next five games. Is that how it works?
1: Yeah, that sounds right. And uh, having it, having us uh, be able to do a possible game six if necessary, game seven if necessary, that's huge. And um, this is this is a back and forth series, at least what we've seen so
0: far. So let's see what ends up happening. For the next five, that's what I was trying to say. Good Lord, sometimes my math not good. For the next five, if that's the case, so that means today one hour, tomorrow one hour, no show Thursday because of UTEP football. Friday, the full three hour experience, and then we get you ready for. Um, football Friday night at 7 o'clock. And then Saturday, Sunday, since the UTEP game is on Thursday, we would have both World Series games if necessary. So I'm excited about that. Um, we got a lot to cover on the show today. Where do we start? Wow. Um, all right, let's first talk about Catherine Bolligan. Now, um, as much as I would love to say that um, I reported that uh, Catherine Bolligan was fired, no, the uh, university sent out a release saying she would not be back. Simple as that. And I'm not surprised. The The soccer program over the last three years has uh, gotten worse each season. And there really were no signs of life uh, with this program in terms of being competitive against in conference USA competition, like we pointed out in the story. Um, when Jim Center first came on board, one of his first moves was to uh, make a change at soccer. And, in October of 2018, they replaced Kevin Cross with Catherine Bolligan, and the reason was was that you know Kevin Cross had I think a pair of eight win seasons, and you know the program had kind of grown stagnant. He had been there 18 years as head coach, 21 altogether, um, and was kind of an institution at UTEP for women's soccer. And they believe that you know UTEP needs to be in the CUSA tournament every year. And uh, Bolligan had a good first year. Don't uh, get me wrong. Won 10 games. Uh, They were good. And it looked like the hire was paying off immediately. But unfortunately, since that first season, um, you know, COVID and then the two years since, uh, they have never been close to um building on that very first year and you could argue that in season 1 they were playing with a lot of uh, you know talent that they inherited at the time from the previous regime and unfortunately for Catherine Bolligan and company just never able to do the kind of things that Jim Center expected when he hired her in the first place.
1: Yeah, I feel like the firing was the right move here, Steve, because when UTEP Athletics does this right here, they show that they're committed to winning in their in their other sports, you know, especially in soccer. They've shown that they're committed to, to winning in sports like uh, volleyball, and especially adding beach volleyball. Like, they're committed to that program in a big way under Ben Wallace, and they're committed to hanging banners in other sports, but, um, you know, there, there hasn't been much on-field success. That's where this is stemming from, Correct, and that also will tell you that uh gym center this athletic department they will not be afraid to fire coaches if they don't see the production going on the field
0: well there's still a lot of people that don't believe that kevin cross should have been fired in the first place sure sure you know there's that there's that there's that uh, group that said that you know what he didn't deserve to get fired or at least if you're going to let him go um give him an opportunity to say hey you, you're gonna have to do this or else like give you give the coach an idea because he wasn't expecting it uh we i remember when they issued the release four years ago and he even said that he was in shock he had no idea this was coming so if you're gonna if you're gonna let somebody go especially uh, in that regard hey give him give him a heads up um but for Catherine bolligan hey three years three years a long time to try to get this thing going after that first 10 win season uh not able to do it so i'm with you on that one but if you're gonna make the move you got to bring in somebody that can get it done They've tried, and and Balligan was a small school coach in Texas, and the idea was, well, she won in the SWAC, so it would translate to Conference USA, and it didn't.
1: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Maybe you uh, ditch that philosophy right there. I know that y- I don't. I mean, I don't know what UTEP is going to look at as far as the next head coach, but maybe they'd be uh, looking at the assistant route and yep. look at you know either the lower level Power Five assistants or Go high level. assistant. Yeah, an assistant at the high level, um, even at the Group of Five level. You n- you never know. These long-time assistants, the way that Ben Wallace has panned out, uh, these longtime assistants can do wonders if they get a chance to turn uh, you know do
0: something with their own program? Well, it's interesting because the first thing uh, when you said Ben Wallace, I looked at New Mexico State's program this year, and they're having a great soccer season, but their head coach has been there a while, and really um, prior to, I guess, last season had a miserable record. A miserable record, but has won the last couple seasons. So, you know, um, it's interesting when you start to look at what's there. Uh, I was searching immediately Texas, TCU, uh, Texas Tech. Those are three top programs in the Big 12, And uh, they all have assistants that, uh, you know, could be potential possibilities. We'll end up having to wait and see if that happens. But that was the first thing I was looking at was power, you know, power five, um, you know, Powers in Texas, and can you get an assistant off that group?
1: Yeah, I also think it's tough to win here in El Paso. I'm not I'm not trying to give any yep. coach a pass, but I think that whether it's Kevin Cross, whether it's Kath, Catherine Bolligan, when it comes to soccer here in El Paso, it's hard to win because of uh, simply recruiting. It, you're not able to be in the Metroplex like other these other schools are in East Texas, getting a chance to go wherever they want and recruit the players. Now you're having to just rely on film that you get, maybe the transfer portal, if you're able well. to get players there, and uh, they just didn't hit on the, the right recruits.
0: One of the Things I always thought Cross did a great job was uh, tapping into to uh, Canada. It seemed like That's he right. always had a really, really solid pipeline in Canada.
1: I feel like the next head coach, no matter what, you have to make sure they've got a pipeline somewhere. I, and uh, I don't know if uh, Catherine Baligan necessarily established one. Uh, you look at just you. You look at the the volleyball team. They've uh, established several different pipelines, whether it's international talent grabbing players out of the transfer portal, grabbing players who they previously recruited out of high school. They've got a nice like if I'm if I'm modeling a program at UTEP, I'm trying to model it off the volleyball team right there. A coach who, who knows what he's doing. A coach who um, you know is. Uh, determined to win and hang banners and isn't satisfied with mediocrity, that's the kind of coach that UTEP needs to hire in this kind of job.
0: Tessa Carlin and Emerson Kidd both hailed from Winnipeg, Canada and were teammates at the Glenlawn Collegiate Institute. Those are the only Canadian players left. And if you looked at the roster from years past, heavy, heavy canadian influence and one of the things kevin cross had done was a great pipeline in canada and you're right doesn't have to be that way doesn't have you don't have to do what kevin cross did you can st- you can establish your own identity but just understand if you're gonna if you're gonna turn the roster over and make it over hey and you don't and you don't really show any progress in three years it's gonna be hard to keep your job which is one of the reasons why um next up got news for you softball uh softball has not been good the last couple seasons and I will be very, very interested to see if that's going to be the next sport that if they don't turn it around this year is looking for a new head coach.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a program right there that, you know, it was a tough one initially right off the gate for T.J. Hubbard. He joined us, I think even during the pandemic, talked to us how yeah. difficult it was recruiting. But, hey, it's been two calendar years since then. You had your own chance to recruit your own players. Let's see what they could do this season. The, the season is, you know, about to get underway for softball. Let's see what they could do on their end, and, and
0: maybe they could try to turn things around under hubbard yeah i'm interested to see what happens i really am because like you said uh you got to make some progress last year they were 11 and 26 in softball they were 5 and 15 in conference usa that's
1: and that's the key right there right because you want to play for conference titles it's all right if you have a bad record but you have to be competitive in conference and they're not
0: and that, that's a that's something that needs to be fixed 100 right and in 2020 during the um covid year they were 5 and 17 so again You know, that's that that the first thing i thought of when i saw the news about Balogun is tj hubbard is next if he doesn't turn it around he's got to he's got to make progress got to well, make progress what
1: people also need to understand is this is a new conference usa that utep's yep. going up against and it's they're going to be compared in every sport i don't care what it is football basketball to new mexico state and they will be recruited against by new mexico state this is west texas southern new mexico right here and utep when it comes to recruiting battles in the coming years in conference usa they're not going up against rice or middle you know um, You know, UTSA, North Texas, they're going up against New Mexico State.
0: We uh, have only an hour today, and coming up next, it's going to be a lot of fun. Jeff Perlman's going to join us. He's going to talk about his new Bo Jackson book. I'm excited about that. In fact, we're going to break a little early, give Jeff an opportunity, and uh, come back with a whole lot more here on the program. But again, 5 o'clock, World Series, game number three, as Sports Talk continues here on 600 ESPN El Paso. As we continue here on Sports Talk, Steve Kaplow, it's right now, joined joined by by the author of the the brand new book, The Last Folk Hero, The Life and and Myth of Bo Jackson. Jackson. So excited we get a chance to spend a little time with Jeff Perlman on today's show. Jeff, uh, first off, great to have you back on here in El Paso, and congratulations on your latest project.
2: Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it.
0: The last time we spoke, you mentioned that you were going to be uh, tackling a project with Bo Jackson. You asked us our thoughts, and I thought it was a great idea. Just a couple years ago, and now here we are. The last folk hero is out, and you tell me. You've written so many books, and you've tackled so many subjects, although this one is kind of unique, and maybe it's because of the title, because of all of the myths that uh, encompass Bo Jackson's career.
2: I think that's fair. It's almost, um, I don't want to sound sort of uh, grim, but in a little bit, in a little way, it's like writing about someone who's deceased. Like uh, if you were writing a biography of like JFK or Tupac or someone, where it's this person who's in their prime, in their glory, and then it all ends. And that's kind of Bo Jackson. So there's, number the one, there's the question what would he have become? What could have he become? What would have happened? And there's also the sort of lack of footage, all these mythological stories about the guy and the lack of footage behind it. So it kind of works in both ways.
0: I almost wish that... Bo Jackson um, was a product of the social me- uh, social media age because you can you imagine with the technology today and what we have on social media how some of the things that uh, you, you've written about in the book what, you know how they would have gone viral because everybody would have wanted to uh, to see uh, you know the stories uh, and see this uh, this firsthand.
2: Well, I can tell you two things. Number one, he probably wouldn't be paying Elon Musk nine dollars for a blue check because he doesn't really care about attention and. Uh, Number two, in a way, I think it, um, I think it's better this way. Like the reason like, we don't know if Babe Ruth ever pointed, did a home run, pointed home run shot against the Cubs in the World Series. We don't know if Earl Marigold leapt so high that he grabbed a quarter off the top of the backboard. Like we don't know things about that, and that makes the stories all the more interesting. And if we saw the pointed shot by Babe Ruth, maybe he was just scratching his, his leg. You know, and like if people thought he was pointing, or maybe Earl Marigold just cr- cr- found a quarter on the ground. So I really like that there are all these stories. They feel mythological. Everything about Bo Jackson feels like, did it happen? Did it really happen? Did it happen that way? And I kind of dig that. It made it fun.
0: When you look at at least uh, his athletic career, both in baseball and football, only uh, professional athlete in history to be named an all star in, in both sports, if he had stuck with one of the two, do you anticipate that you know he would have been a Hall of Famer either in baseball or in football if he had given that a hundred percent?
2: Yeah, I really do. the The key is uh, gave it a hundred percent. Football, he was ready. He was he could have been. I mean, he walked in after playing a full major league season, taking two weeks off, joining the Raiders late every year, and he was a uh, you know a Pro Bowl caliber running back from go. And baseball. He was just raw. He had all this Mike Trout ability, you know, Mickey Mantle ability, but he was raw. And if he had given it all the time, and worked on development, and learned to hone his craft, he could have been Mike Trout. He could have been Roberto Clemente. He had that level of talent, no, no doubt.
0: I agree with that. And and it's also kind of interesting when when you talk about you know his time growing up, um, what you know how important his mother was to him, especially in the family, going to Auburn, and you would think that. You know, when you're in Auburn in the early '80s, I guess people look at you know Auburn now because of what the football program has turned into and 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 what you know who has come out. But it was so much different 40 years ago and uh, predominantly white to begin with. And what Bo had to deal with uh, in college uh, while he was trying to become ultimately uh, you know the best athlete he could possibly be.
2: I feel like a lot of people don't think about this. I still think it applies, and people don't like to discuss it, but. Bo Jackson arrives in Auburn, and his sophomore year there, one of his roommates is Lionel Little Train James, who went on to a career with the Chargers. And um, the athletic dormitory was under repair, so they put all the athletes in trailers and spread them out around Auburn. And, um, And one day Pat Dye, the head coach, says to Lionel James, he basically says, look, I know you and Bo are screwing around with white women, and I don't have a problem with it. Like, you're here, we brought you here, you can do what you want. But I know a lot of people here would have a problem with it, So we're going to put you on the outskirts. We're going to give you a a trailer that's kind of far away so you can do what you want, and people won't know about it. And, you know, Lionel James said to me, he's like, you know, I broke five fingers in a game against Florida. And sometimes you sit there and you wonder, like, you guys cheer for me, you love me, you praise me, you say I'm the greatest, but what if I was dating your daughter? You know, what if I wanted to come over for dinner? And I just think for a lot of these African-American ballplayers back then and, and still today, you sort of wonder, Am I just a commodity to you,
0: Jeff Perlman With us here on Sports Talk, as we continue, um, he didn't leave because of his mom. He, he decided to go to Auburn and stay in the same state because of his devotion to her. He he finished college because that was his promise he made to her. Again, it just goes to show you that um, you know that re, that relationship was so tight that you know he stayed uh, he stayed committed to her even after uh, all the fame and, and fortune started to come his way.
2: He was a mama's boy in the best possible way. I mean, his mom, yeah, his dad lived across town with his own family, almost completely ignored Bo. And his mom was devoted. She worked three jobs as a maid. You know, like, she was tough. You know, she beat him when he was bad. And, you know, there were plenty of times she was bad, but she stuck with him. And, you know, he really, really had an awful childhood as far as poverty, as far as making it. He knew what it was to scrap and claw and scratch and dig for everything you have. And he never forgot that. And his mom, until she died of cancer, Florence Bond, was uh, you know a key part of his life.
0: Jeff, uh, for you, what did you enjoy most as you started to really research this project and interview uh, over seven hundred people to put the profile of Bo Jackson together in the book?
2: Uh, weirdly, I would say my favorite part of it all was um, after his senior year, when it was done in football, he played in uh, two ball games. He played in the senior role in Mobile, which was fun to write about but he played in something called the Japan ball, which no longer exists. And they basically flew, uh, you know, whatever, 70 college seniors or a hundred college seniors to Tokyo to play in this game. And it was so quaint, like the uniforms didn't fit because the seamstresses who made it in Japan didn't understand football and the fans watching the game. They didn't realize that a run, a long run was better than a missed pass. So they'd be cheering for like passes that weren't complete. And, you know, you throw Bo Jackson into this, and it's this week of him meeting sumo wrestlers and posing for photos of people who never knew who he was, and all these players getting drunk on sake, and I just love stuff like that. I love taking slivers of time and digging into it, so I'm a big Japan ball fan.
0: <laughs> I like that. Um, meanwhile, you wrote about a story that involved, um, I guess— Uh, the team plane catching on fire when he was with the White Sox in 1991. I'd never heard this story before, and uh, it's funny because I was a freshman at at the University of Texas uh, that year, and yet you talk about what it was like. um, You know, Bo did everything to the point where he entered the cockpit of the plane, and then what happened when the plane landed, I guess, was even more bizarre. It's, It's one of the craziest stories I've ever heard.
2: Yeah, it was the opener to the book, and it kind of speaks to the mythology of the man. Like, plane's on fire, everyone's freaking out, and all of a sudden, out of the cockpit comes Bo Jackson, and he'd been up there with him, with the pilots. He's like, guys, everything's going to be okay, everyone sit down. So I get this one story, but then I get another story from other members of the White Sox saying, no, 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 he didn't walk out of the cockpit, he ran toward the cockpit to help the pilots, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I have these two conflicting stories. But I make the argument that because it's Bo Jackson, maybe they're both true. Maybe he did both at the same time just because he's a myth. And then what isn't a myth is they landed an emergency landing in Des Moines. They're coming back from California to Chicago. Make an emergency landing in Des Moines, 3.30 in the morning. Everything's closed. These guys are shaken. There's a closed kiosk with a keg with a lock on it. And Bo Jackson walks up to the keg, breaks the lock off with his hand, and serves everyone beer. And I always say, adding to the myth is, where did he get the cups?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, he debuts as a pro about three, four years after Michael Jordan. And, and I'm interested when we talk about the, the Nike campaign and and the Bone Nose campaign versus the Air Jordan, uh, the popularity of both. I, I've always felt that you know Jordan really helped make the Nike brand, and, and they did the same thing with him and, and Jumpman. But it seemed like everybody had the Bo knows black and white poster uh, in the, in the late '80s.
2: Oh, I sure did. Did you? Absolutely. I had that hanging up in my dorm room at the University of Delaware. My daughter, who's a sophomore at UC San Diego, actually has it hanging up in her dorm room now. Um, it was ubiquitous, man. It was everywhere, and as big as all the Jordan was, all the Air Jordan was, it certainly was huge. I don't think there's any commercial that was bigger than Bo. You don't know Diddley when you have you know Jim Everett saying Bo knows football and Michael Jordan saying Bo knows basketball, that was an enormous ad. And that ad actually premiered during the 1989 Major League All-Star Game, during which Bo Jackson led off with a home run. And the Nike executives were all at Mickey Mantle's restaurant in New York City watching the game. They knew the ad was coming up. The first airing of that ad was coming up shortly thereafter. And they all started jumping up and down and cheering um, as, the, as, as Bo's home run was leaving the, leaving the stadium because they knew the timing was just perfect.
0: Have you had the opportunity yet to hear anything from Bo Jackson himself regarding the project?
2: I have not. He, um, he's a very guarded guy, as you know. He was, uh, I talked to him early on. Uh, he was nice but not helpful. But then I got very lucky, and i um, Dick Shap wrote Bo's autobiography in 1990, and um, Dick I, died. But before his death, he donated all his notes, audio transcripts, et cetera, to the Auburn Library. So when I was working on this book, I was able to listen to hours and hours and hours and hours of Bo Jackson being interviewed by Dick Schaap, uh, most of which was never used before. So sometimes as a reporter, you just get lucky.
0: That's very cool. Very cool. All right, so you've written about the Lakers on a couple of occasions. The 86 Mets, the Cowboys, Walter Payton, Brett Favre. Um, You've written about the USFL, and now here it is uh, with with Bo Jackson. I'm sure to you, books are like your kids. Um, It's hard to rank them, but if people are interested in a uh, book just in time for the holidays, what can you tell them that we haven't talked about yet that uh, they should expect when they get a chance to read The Last Folk Hero?
2: I mean, you're going to learn about I, the thing. I always say this isn't such a great pitch, but it's just how I feel. Is kids my kids? Age so they're teenagers. Their friends don't know who Bo Jackson is. You know, they don't. They maybe they know Bo knows, and maybe their dad or mom mentioned it, but they don't know him. And I just think this guy is as important a figure in American sports history as Mantle or DiMaggio or Clemente. Or I just think he's hugely important. He is the greatest athlete. You ran. Wait, here, Being serious here. High school senior, set five state individual track and field records. Won the state decathlon as a junior, won it again as a senior. As a senior, he was so far ahead he didn't have to run the 1500. While, Meanwhile, he sprained his ankle. The next day, the day after winning the decathlon, he pitched his only game of the year for the high school baseball team, struck out 13 batters in a win. He stole 90 of 91 bases in his career, set the national home run record with 20 in a season while missing seven games for track and field. Then Jess goes to Auburn and wins the Heisman Trophy. Like he's the great and he ran a four one three forty, then ran a four one seven on grass for Raider Scouts. He is the greatest athlete who has ever existed, and I think he deserves to be remembered.
0: That was my last question: Is is he the greatest? So you say absolutely yes. yes, and there's not even there's not even a question about that. So that's pretty uh, no question. Pretty I don't
2: even know who was in the. I don't even know who else is in the argument. I'm not saying there aren't athletes who have had greater feats or won more gold medals, but the greatest singular athlete is Bo Jackson.
0: I ask you this question every time we have you on the show, Jeff. Are you going to take a break, or are you going to jump right into your next project?
2: I'm taking a break, believe it or not. Good for you. Good for you. Thanks, man. All right. I'm in Alabama on vacation.
0: Very nice. Until the next time we get to chat, congratulations on the last folk hero uh, from Mariner Books, and I look forward to the next time we get to bring you on the program.
2: All right. Thank you so much. Take care.
0: Jeff Perlman, folks, as we continue here on Sports Talk. Still a lot more to come as we get you ready for World Series Game 3 tonight from Philadelphia. But first, right back to Adrian, and let's get this bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Adrian, thank you very much. You know, it is so difficult uh, to try to come up with uh, the, the, who won the the trade deadline in the NFL. As we thank Jeff Perlman today for coming on and talking about the Bo Jackson book. Definitely want to check that out, folks. If you have not seen it in bookstores, you need to. That's a great, great gift for the holidays. And Bo Jackson, truly one of the great mythological sports figures of our time. I mean, he's 59 years old. So you think about that and what he's been able to accomplish all those years. And the legends, that's, that's, that's what it's all about. That's right up Jeff's alley. That's for sure. You look at what happened today. And by the way, let's just say this, has to be the most active NFL trade deadline ever. I don't ever recall as many deals going down like they did this year. So it was like like fantasy football, except for real. It was crazy. So you think about what happened. First off, uh, if you're Miami, uh, huge winners uh, getting Bradley Chubb. Huge, huge winners. That is amazing. And then... They also uh, pulled off the trade for Jeff Wilson from San Francisco in another deal. So they got deeper at running back. Between that, Chase Claypool to the Bears, which was a surprise. I didn't expect to see that. Definitely didn't think Calvin Ridley was going to go to the team. That is the reason he's suspended to begin with. He bet on the Falcons to beat the Jags. Now he's a Jag. Go figure that one out. Hawkinson going to the Vikings. You never see trades within the same division. That happened. Oh, there's so much to sort out right now, Adrian.
1: Yeah, that uh, Hawkinson one is the one that's most surprising to me because uh, two weeks ago we got the report that uh, the Lions are standing by Dan Campbell. He won a lot of people over, over the offseason uh, due to what he did in hard knocks and just the way he is around the locker room. Uh, I am I am baffled by this one right here. He was uh, Dan Campbell was a huge Hawkinson fan. Hawkinson was a fan favorite as well. Who do you get excited about if you're a Detroit Lion fan? Unfortunately, this tells me that this is the early process of them tearing down the regime and starting over again. Yeah. yeah, great
0: point. Great, great point. That's and that's and that is sad because the truth is, there's been so many interesting, uh, you know, storylines with the whole. Um, really, with with the whole uh, hard knocks. Now, yeah, they're just they're they're doing it all over again. But man, you look at all the deals. Roquan Smith uh, to to Baltimore. That was huge. I mean, think about what happened. Robert Quinn to Philadelphia. That was big. James Robinson goes to the Jets. McCaffrey to the Niners. Um, you know that 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 happened last week, and then you look at what went down today. Oh, there's a ton of stuff, ton of stuff that happened uh, in the NFL. Man, the, the complete list. There's even more trades that we haven't even talked about. Washington sending cornerback William Jackson the third to Pittsburgh. Um, Jacob Martin going from the Jets to Denver, the defensive end. Uh, you had Rashad Fenton going from Kansas City to Atlanta today.
1: That's a big one, Steve, because Kansas City is now dead set on two rookies. When can I mean? You got to praise what uh, Kansas City has done in their front office. Restructured, restructured all the deals across the board, and they're moving on from Fenton. Didn't even start. They're starting two rookies. That's a that's a general manager who knows his draft and uh, is doing right thing, good things over there in Kansas City.
0: Ed Werner said that the Cowboys nearly landed Brandon Cooks from the Texans today. They said they were talking all the way up until the final minutes before the deadline expired. They just couldn't settle on draft pick compensation. That was the big one that really held that out. I thought the Jets might be trading away either Elijah Moore or Denzel Mims. who both requested trade offers, uh, and they both kept them. On their roster. That was a little bit of a surprise. Maybe the, the Jets didn't get enough for him. I thought Kareem Hunt was going to be traded by the Browns. That was a surprise that he didn't get dealt. So, yeah, there was some real interesting uh, news that went down uh, over the course of the last uh, 24 hours, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I don't understand why Cam Akers and a fourth-round pick isn't enough for Kareem Hunt. If that deal was out there for the Rams to try to get him from Cleveland, they could have restructured a deal. There's no uh, future with Daryl Henderson or any of the running backs that the Rams have. So, I'm surprised they didn't pull the trigger the trigger there uh Packers miss out on a wide receiver you talk about the Cowboys being involved in Brandon Cooks uh Packers are also rumored to be involved there why if you're Houston why don't you trade him you take in you take all that salary cap that Brandon Cooks has What what is that going to do for you this year uh you t- eat that dead cap and then you build up with more picks you you got to look to the future if you're the Houston Texans and uh the move today by not moving uh Brandon Cooks I think that's a loss for them
0: he hasn't exactly had a terrific year 354 well, year, that's the problem That's what I'm saying. But I wonder if teams are trying to lowball Houston because of that. Houston wanted – maybe they wanted a second or a third-round pick and all they were getting was a fourth, fifth, or sixth. Who knows?
1: That's very true. If it's a lower draft pick, then why do it? I I get it, the Davis Mills. The other thing is he's been injury-riddled throughout his career. It's not just with – he's also bounced around the entire league. It seems like everybody's had their uh, time with uh, Brandon Cooks, and uh, now he doesn't get dealt. He's still with
0: this team. You know what I'm fascinated with now that the deadline's over? Who gets OBJ? because Ooh. that is probably the one guy right now that can make the world a difference for a lot of teams whether it's bringing it back to the giants whether the packers try to entertain a serious cuz lord knows that um you know Aaron Rodgers could use him um, the Rams possibly trying to bring him back again. They need him because of what's happening with their team right now. Is struggling so much. A, OBJ is going to have a lot of suitors before he decides to decide where he's going to go.
1: Yeah, I also I would look at the Ravens. They lost uh, Rashad Bateman over the past couple weeks. Uh, he looks like he's going to be on the either the IR or out for the foreseeable future. They're having to just rely on Mark Andrews, Devin Duvernay. Uh, if the Ravens added OBJ, that gives Lamar another target, and it also keeps him away from other. Teams in the AFC, I could see the Bengals reaching out to OBJ now, knowing that they've got some injury news to Jamar Chase. They 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 uh, they looked alarming yesterday. Their offense could not move the football with just T Higgins and, and Boyd yesterday. And then, do not rule out the Chiefs of the Chargers. Uh, those guy those teams love their star power. They love to bring on big name guys. And if it's L A. and the Chargers, OBJ would stay home.
0: How long until you think he's ready to go? Because he's still rehabbing. So how close is OBJ to actually returning to the field?
1: Well, think about it. If it's an ACL. Uh, tear that he had at the Super Bowl in February, just from an NBA perspective, they usually say a full calendar year. In the NFL, it's usually nine months because they do a little bit better job in in rehabbing. So I'd say late November, early December, that's all you need. If you're a contender, that's all you
0: want right there. Just in time for the playoffs. That's exactly right. Yeah. Just in time.
1: Yes, yeah, so, a better in presence.
0: Um, I think the Niners won huge at this deadline. Who else did you? And I like the Dolphins. What they did at the deadline. Who else do you like?
1: In the Vikings. I mean, this NFC is wide open. They get TJ Hawkinson. They did have. They did not have any production from the tight end position yeah. from Irv Smith. He now goes on the IR. They make a huge, huge pickup in getting TJ Hawkinson. Now they're a, a serious contender. We have to call him that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and biggest loser, a team that should have made a move but didn't make a move, do you put the Cowboys in that list?
1: Yeah, I think you have to knowing the Phillies, uh, excuse me, knowing Philadelphia is what they are, and uh, they're they're tough to beat. And the Cowboys needed at least one or two more players. They needed a wideout, and they didn't get that. I would put them among the losers. I'd also put the Raiders among the, the losers, Steve. I thought that they had a lot of picks uh, trades to make, and uh, the Raiders stay quiet. And now is this over for this season with the Raiders? Could be.
0: Could be. Hey, Final Countdown coming up right around the corner, folks. If you want to duck a call in in our final segment, 505-6009. we got the World Series coming up in 20 minutes on the pregame show. 505-6009. Before we go to break, though, I want to tell you that if you are looking for that perfect uh, agent to buy or sell your home, especially if you're worried about leaving money on the table, hey, uh, Brian Birds is your guy. And he's got a team. It is a stacked team. The Brian Birds home selling team powered by EXP Realty. All they do is sell homes and do it time after time to make all their clients money. In fact, so many reasons why, but my favorite part of Brian Bird's is his Coming Soon Homes program. It's because homes are listed with him, sold within minutes, because guess what? His buyers get a free head start, just like what happened here with James and Ann. You know, they needed to sell their West El Paso home that they were renting out, and they were tired of all the hassles of managing a rental property. So they enlisted the help of Brian and his team. They listed the home for $320,000. You know how long it took for that home to be on the market? Four days. Four days. That home was sold for $15,000 over the list price. Now James and Ann have one less thing to worry about. You can too. So call the official real estate agent of UTEP, a Paso Locomotive FC and the Rhinos. He's the only agent I would call if I needed to sell my home. Brian Birds, online at brianbirds.com or Google Brian, B U R D S, and start packing. And the next thing you know, we might be talking about your success story here on Sports Talk.
2: Price, so have you
0: heard? To sell your home.